Hey, what's going on? Thanks for everybody for tuning in to episode three of the Ewang Bang podcast, Everyday Commentary by Everyday People. I'm joined again by my very good friend, Jeff Liu. We're continuing our discussions about Asians and Asian culture and film and the media, this time focusing on the recent film, The Ghost in the Shell, starring Scarlett Johansson. And for those of you who missed it, our previous episode covered our thoughts on the Netflix series, The Iron Fist. So check it out if you haven't had a chance yet. Now, so for those of you who haven't seen The Ghost in the Shell, the movie is based off of a Japanese manga and anime from the early 90s. The story takes place in a futuristic society where technology has advanced such that the human body can be replaced with cybernetic parts. The protagonist, Major Motoko Kasunagi, is a brainwashed officer in a government security organization tasked with tracking down a master hacker named the Puppet Master. Now, throughout the story, as events unravel, Major begins to question her own humanity, leading her down a road of finding her origins. So... That being said, I saw this movie um, the day that it came out, or the day after it came out, and uh, right before seeing the movie, I actually watched the uh, the original anime as well. So I would say all of all of the source material was uh, fairly fresh in my mind. So I had uh, definitely a lot of thoughts about the the live action movie, but I wanted to hear yours, Jeff. What'd you think? So let's talk about the positive things about the movie first. Um, if you take the movie as just a collection of still frames, it can be a really gorgeous movie. I mean, there are, there are, uh, some really beautifully, um, designed and produced set pieces. There's some really good CGI in here. Uh, a lot of the costume choices were also really good. And, you know, you, you get kind of like a Blade Runner stylistic feel from a lot of this. They use a lot of the retro vehicles that you got in uh, Blade Runner. They used a lot of the neon graphics and skylines that you got from Blade Runner. And, I, I mean, for me, that's kind of where the positives end. Uh, because even if you just take this frame by frame, the the visual gets re the visuals get really boring really fast because there's just not there's no depth to them at all. I mean, when you take a look at the city, it's comprised of a whole bunch of bright colors and like bright like neon, a lot of neon, a lot of imagery. Um, there's like if you've seen some of the previews, you see like a giant digital koi floating through the city. And, you know, that's all well and good for the first 15 minutes. But when they keep on going back to it, it just gets kind of boring. And there's no real purpose behind it other to show you that, hey, you know, this is what the city looks like. Um, as for the story, I mean, I can't say that I really cared for the way that they chose to interpret Ghost in the Shell here. Um, it's basically the same feeling as I got from the visuals, you know, at first you you think that you could potentially pull off the same sort of like existential discussion as they did in the anime and the manga but you know after a while it's just a book with a pretty cover and really no content inside the story itself was devoid of anything that would force the audience to do anything more than think about very very basic concepts of identity scarlett johansson's performance was limited by the writing and was uninspired and you know there's a whole litany of other issues here that you know they didn't utilize the resources and the actor like some of the talented actors that they were given here because they had such a slow slow moving story with with a lot of different side stories that just really the audience 
I think would have a difficult time caring about because they're they're just not invested in it enough. Like there's not enough given to the audience for them to latch on and really care about Scarlett Johansson's character. Yeah, going back to the whole visuals thing, I, I agree. I think this movie did an amazing job with the CGI, the visuals, and holding true to the the source content. The you know some of the some of the shots in the movie were you know frame by frame almost identical to scenes in the anime. Uh, you know, the scene of um, Major jumping off the uh, the building in the beginning, uh, the scenes of Major fighting that, that, that assassin or whatever in the in that very shallow pool in front of all the, the skyline of the city. The yeah, spider that, tank. Yeah, the spider tank as well. You know, a lot of these uh, the visuals were very, very similar, which I thought were amazing. But but you're right. They kind of go back to these these scenes and there's no real context to the scenes. You know, there's it's, it is futuristic. But it doesn't really have much of impact on the story. Yeah. I mean, besides looking different, there's there's nothing else that you would really consider like, wow, this is this is how the future is going to be like. I, I mean, it you know, they, they take you through kind of the dirty back streets of this like pseudo. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if we would even call it an Asian. I mean, it was filmed in Hong Kong, but I wouldn't even know if it was an Asian town or not. There's just Asian symbology everywhere you know? symbology and the word you're looking for is symbolism uh, yeah all right, all right let's go with that symbolism there's a there's <laughs> asian symbol symbolisms everywhere but i mean there's also just like random asian letters that are up in neon signs and nobody in the audience knows what any of that means or why it's there or whether or not it adds anything the city itself is a really bland character in this movie even though it's done up very prettily right and, and by the way the symbolism thing is a reference to boondock scenes <laughs> but anyway uh yeah and i think you bring up a good point that the kind of the city the backdrop is an in itself a character to the story and in this case when you know the city should have been able to tell kind of could have been a character that tells a story within the story but instead it was just more of of, of a backdrop i, I compared this to the serenity universe or even i robot where you you see scenes of the city and you know it like what's kind of going on around you contributes to it, it sets a context as to why the actors are acting the way that they are, you know, like right. there is a, a history there. There's, there's a justification as to why things the way that they are. And that just isn't here in ghost in the shell. Like you could have put um, Scarlett Johansson in, in any like random large city in the world. And this movie would have still worked in the exact same way. I agree. I agree. Well, in addition to kind of the, the background and the visuals and the story, what, what do you think of the action? I thought that the action again, I mean, at first, I mean, if, if you looked at previews, people were expecting a good deal of action here. And one of the first scenes that you, that you see is um, again, pulled straight from the anime where major, uh, flies into uh, a glass window and starts shooting up the place, you know, and, and that's exciting. You know, initially it's a, it's a very exciting moment. You get to see a lot of gunplay. You get to see kind of a uh, sort of matri matrix esque uh, jumping off the walls and everything and uh, major fighting robots. But 
there doesn't seem to really again there doesn't seem to be any more variety in there you know it's it's the same sort of thing that we've seen in a in a dozen different action movies and frankly speaking i mean um i think scarlett johansson needs to vary the stunt women that she uses uh in her different films because she uses the same sort of acrobatic maneuvers as she does in avengers i mean i think you brought this up to me earlier that the same sort of like twisting flying twirling <laughs> flying arm bar stuff that she does as black widow is the yeah. exact same sort of techniques that she does here in ghost in the shell and it it just doesn't it, it's not fun anymore you know like there's there's nothing new to this i've seen this action scene before just with different props and yeah and i could go into a whole tirade about you know what i think about scarlett johansson i, I think she has really become just typecast into this kind of cold woman who's sexy and can you know do you know do all these kick-ass action scenes but really i don't at least you think she's sexy there's that (laughs) at least one part of my judgment's right but like i just can't stand her in movies i you know her you know she just always brings kind of that same level of i i don't want to say charisma but it's I guess you could call it charisma. It's just, you know what you're getting. You know you're getting that kind of cool, you know, attitude, you know, the, like the, the middle finger thing. I don't know if you remember where she gets her hand fixed and she does the middle finger thing. Like, you know, right. that's just like, that's such a Scarlett Johansson, like, smart-ass sort of thing that I'm just like, ugh, like, come on. Just get, either get somebody else or teach her how to act differently. It's just, <laughs> I just can't stand her. I mean, I, I actually do. I actually disagree to an extent. I mean, I, we, we've seen Scarlett Johansson in other roles, and and I, I think that you may be right that she's been typecast. But I, I feel as though she's capable of a greater subtlety in in her, her in her acting. I just don't think that she was given really the latitude to do that in this movie because I mean, the writing for all the characters in this movie was was not was not phenomenal. You know, yeah. like it it. Um, it was a whole bunch of like random military gobbledygook speak amongst uh, the major and her tactical team. And then um, when you get some, when you get the corporate guys involved, there's like a whole bunch of corporate characters in here. It's a whole bunch of like corporate and pseudo science fiction, you know, artificial intelligence pseudo speak too. It, it, It just seems like they followed the tropes for all three of these different types of genres and then they just kind of smashed together there's not a whole bunch of creativity going on here they do want typecast characters because i think that's the movie that they set out to make yeah actually you make you make a really good point i i don't think that you know they they really took i don't think they took any risks with with the casting Uh, nobody's really edgy other than uh takeshi um yeah I forget his last name, but he is Kitano, baby. <laughs> yeah, he's the. For those of you who don't know, he plays kind of the, the director of this uh, securities division, and you might recognize him as the the teacher who kind of runs the battle royale program in the uh, battle royale movie. So uh, he he has. I, I thought he was probably one of the best parts of the movie, and the one action scene that he has was. Pretty well done, I thought. Especially. Yeah, and, and, but I mean, like, if you take a look at at Takeshi Kitano's um, acting in this, it, it doesn't really deviate from the rest of the like stoic, stone cold acting that you see from a lot of the the other uh, characters here. But like, for some reason, the the way that he comes off, I mean, this this is a 
this is a uh, film that is based off of an anime and it's based off of, you know, Japanese proclivities and whatnot. Um, Takeshi Kitano, it just seems like he fits in this role because it's, it's his Japanese sensibilities, you know, like his stoic demeanor, his kind of no nonsense stuff. It could be called robotic as well, but mm-hmm. he, he makes it work in here. And, and Scarlett Johansson and the rest of the team that surrounds her, it, she, they, they just don't accomplish it as well as he does. So what did you think, and a lot of people had issues with this, but what did you think about Takeshi being the only Japanese speaker and everybody <laughs> just speaking English to him and understanding his Japanese? Well, I mean, I don't know if this is too early to go into it, but I mean, this, this kind of speaks to the whitewashing issues that we, that, you know, that we kind of touched on in our last podcast with Iron Fist, but are definitely much more prevalent here. I mean, you, you as the, the, the film expects the audience to make a lot of assumptions about what's going on here. And this isn't like, we, we talked about Serenity earlier. You know, in, in Serenity, everybody speaks quote unquote Mandarin in that show. <laughs> Josh you know, Whedon's Mandarin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I love Nathan Fillion, but that man's Chinese is just atrocious you know i, I don't but, think anybody speaks good chinese in that in those films or in those yeah. uh, in those no, TV absolutely episodes. absolutely and and we were also talking about um what what other show uh, star were we wars talking? star wars is the other star one that comes to mind when you know han solo talks to chewbacca i mean it's just he, the audience just kind of has to accept that he can he can understand wookie and, yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, with both of those films, or um, I mean, Serenity was the film, and then Firefly was the television series. But with both of those films, they had leads that had a degree of levity to them. You know, when mm-hmm. when Han spoke to Chewie, it was just funny because he was the only guy that could understand him. And Harrison Ford commands that sort of charisma where mm. you just don't care whether <laughs> yeah. or not he actually speaks it because mm. he's just doing it. And yeah. I love Nathan Fillion, and for as terrible as his Mandarin is, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't really care because I'm just watching him, and I appreciate that his character is the way that it is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Here, like, there's yeah. no semblance of that levity here. There's no comedic timing. There's nothing mm-hmm. there at all. I mean, it it's just so dark and, like, inflexible in the way that it's executed. And when you hear everybody pretend like they understand Japanese. Mm. I mean, it's stilted just like the rest of the film. And I mean, we're, we're getting into the whitewashing. So let's, so let's, let's talk about that for a second. I mean, this entire film is premised on the notion that a Japanese girl is stuffed into the shell, a robotic shell that just happens to look like the white woman of like our <laughs> modern day society. Mm-hmm. I, like, I don't think that you can get bigger, more clear example of whitewashing than this, than you culturally appropriating a story that has to do with a nut, with a nut, like a completely different culture than your own and stuffing it into, you know, who you think the best white actress is to do it. You know, mm-hmm. like it's not just that she has a Japanese name. She is of, Japanese descent here and there's like Japanese like cultural aspects to her personality in in her original body and she's like like going into a little bit of the story 
her, she, the major is completely brainwashed, so she doesn't even know that she's Japanese when she comes up. And, you know, I, I think that the film just like, like you couldn't have set it up for the haters on on a <laughs> better silver platter. Than yeah, they definitely set themselves up to be lashed out at by the social justice warriors and all that, uh, or social justice warriors. I keep on getting those uh, terms mixed up. We'll go back to the whitewashing bit in a second. Um, I, I do want to get back to the story and the themes. A big, a major theme in the story is the ghost. To my understanding, the ghost is essentially your soul that you know comes with your brain. Um, you know, all of these uh, cyborgs are essentially human brains that got put into a cyborg body, and the ghost is more or less the soul that is left over from the brain. But one of the things that you kind of realize throughout the throughout the movie is that nobody really remembers anything about the past anyway. So they're just they're just robots with souls. But you know what 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 really is the meaning of the soul if you don't have any memories? Well, I mean, like if if we're taking a look at what the movie was attempting to go through, it they they have a really ham fisted explanation very very early in the film when. Um, they're first designing the major. Uh, they straight up, you know, one of the corporate types comes up and talks to the robotic engineer that's, you know, making the major. They just slip the brain of a Japanese girl and, into a robotic shell. Um, and the corporate guy comes up and says, so has the shell like accepted the ghost or whatever? And, you know, and it essentially just means like, oh, it is the brain inside the robot and is it working correctly? But it's so ham fisted. Like it, 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 there's there, there's no there's no explanation to it at all. It's the most simplistic um, setup for this entire series uh, that I mean, that I've ever seen in, in either the in, in the anime and in the comic book series. Mm-hmm. It. It goes much more beyond that. The ghost like speaks to an individual's humanity, their individual mm-hmm. characteristics. It goes through their inclinations, whether or not their memories are real. There's a lot of different existential questions that are asked, and and that's what composes the soul. The shell is, is because you're you're living in such an advanced technological time, is that you can change basically any. Um, physical aspect about you. You can make yourself super strong. You can make yourself be able to multitask on, uh, on, on several different levels. You can make your brain capacity like, uh, greater. Um, and you have all that capacity and the merging of that, 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 that determination as to where the machine begins and the human, like where the machine ends and the human begins. That's the existential question that both the comics and the anime ask. That's not present here at all. Scarlett Johansson is basically just the only person um, in which this grand experiment when they're trying to put human brains into robot bodies, she's the only one that it's worked for. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so she's the only non-manufacturing product for this corporation. And I mean, that that was more than a little bit disappointing for me. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, kind of a bit of a spoiler a heavy part of the movie is about Scarlett Johansson's character finding herself, figuring out what her past is, and they basically add on this whole new story about how she's able to figure out, oh, you know, prior to her being this uh, cyborg, she was a 16-year-old Japanese girl who was protesting corporate greed, and, you know, 
by tracing her steps back, she's able to meet her real mom. And eventually the feeling I got is that all of these things, figuring out who she was and knowing that she had a family eventually defined her as the, I would say defined her ghost, which is completely different than what happens in the anime where, you know, major never figures out, you know, who she was before. Uh, I mean, like that really was why ghost in the shell, the anime was so revolutionary was because it asked an existential question. It was a question that didn't have a clear answer. It challenged people on a philosophical level. It brought up like the, the nexus between like where the progression of, you know, artificial intelligence and technology would coincide with human intelligence. There was a lot of like layers to what the anime was saying. And, you know, they, they took, they, they didn't take any of those, what I think were the important aspects of, of that, um, of that interpretation of the story. I mean, Ghost in the Shell with Scarlett Johansson I, might as well be female Robocop, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. I think, in my mind, they might have dumbed this down for American audiences. Just because if you want to go see a popcorn flick like Robocop or iRobot or any of these other, you know, sci fi, you know, even Terminator to some extent. I don't think Terminator, you know, the Terminator 2, especially. It, it spells things out for you. There really are no philosophical questions. I mean, I, I guess the, the risk of technology, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Do you know why humans cry? <laughs> I now know why humans cry, but yeah, it is something deep. I cannot do. That's, that's some deep shit, man. <laughs> it's a good line, but still, I, I think it, it is, it is still, it's pretty obvious. Like every, you know, all of the, 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 machi- the machine or the humans or the cyborg, all of them, you know, connect with the humanity around them, which eventually, you know, decides their motivations. I, I feel like Ghost in the Shell, the anime and the manga, you know, they, they, there's something else that basically drives Major's motivations at the end. Right. Yeah. So before we kind of jump into a, a full on discussion about whitewashing in, in Hollywood, I, I wanted to ask you, what did you think? How did you think the whitewashing affected this movie? I mean, like in terms of expressing themes, um, you know, uh, we we did touch on the character interactions earlier, right? Um, I, I remember once, you know, we we talked about this a while back because you know Japan was kind of the leader in technological technological advancements. The whole idea of people potentially losing their humanity with all these advancements in technology was a very very relevant for the Japanese back in you know, back in the mid nineties. So right. I'm curious to think what you think about you know now that you've replaced everything with Americans mm-hmm. uh, or more um, I guess American friendly characters. You know how, how did it affect the story, the the impact, the themes. I mean, I, I just think that there – it's not really cultural appropriation here because even – you know, like you, you can choose who you want to be as an – act you know, like who you want to cast as an actress in this one way or the other. But you you just need to – you need to respect the source material and you need to respect that there are cultural differences between America and Japan. And sometimes those are translatable, you know, but sometimes uh, I think you need somebody who's experienced that on a personal level to make that, um, to make certain themes 
be communicated a little bit better. And, and, you know, the example that I brought up earlier was Takeshi Kitano, you know, like Takeshi Kitano has a, a very, you know, stoic, robotic sort of um, canter to his voice. Uh, it, it's it's very, very stereotypical, strict Japanese um, male persona, you know. But for some reason, he carried the film when he was on there. There's a, there's an absolute charisma there that some of the some of his American counterparts just couldn't replicate in in the movie. And and there's another thing too. I mean, like you you take a look at the some of the visual cues that they're using. You know, it feels as though they're just using Asian symbols as props. And I I do take issue with that. Like. In in the in the initial action scene where you know you have a whole bunch of people at a table and they're being served by robotic geishas, I mean there, there's no purpose to that really. You know there's no significance to that other than to show like oh yeah you know there's, there's geishas in there exactly and and yeah. that and that brings me to another part when when they were discussing in the promotion of this film when when the the whitewashing backlash had already hit they were asking oh you know are there Asian actors in this are there asian actresses in here is there any representation here and they said yeah you know rila fukushima is in here and it, you know if you watch arrow the television series or if you've seen the wolverine rila fukushima is the you know lead actress in um in the wolverine and uh, she has a couple of scenes um as a very prominent character in arrow and she's a very very decent actress you know she she does her job very well and when they said her name, I, I kind of expected when I went into the film to have her in, you know, a relatively major part, you know, you not not just a background role or anything like that. And I didn't see her at all in the film until they rolled the credits and I saw that she was a robotic geisha. So they literally slapped a digital mask on one of the only Japanese actresses that was present in this movie. And I think that's a real issue because you are unabashedly taking – Asian themes, Asian symbols, Asian aspects, you know, of, of this story and you're placing it in here, but you're not granting them any of the significance that they originally had, you know? Um, you have, I mean, you have the koi, the, a giant digital koi swimming through the city for absolutely no reason. And koi are very symbolic in Japanese culture, but here they're just used as a prop, you know? You have random Chinese words like written all over the city, but you know, there's nothing there. What, there's no significance to that. that you know, you, you don't know whether or not they're they're like promoting a iPod or some roast pork that's on the street. I mean, I'm I'm serious. And that's the other thing. There there's kind of it's the same sort of thing that happened with Memoirs of Geisha. Like you have actors here who are just yellow skinned. Uh, you have uh, Shin Han, who is one of the um, Asian operatives that are on uh, the major's tactical team, but he's Chinese, you know, and normally I wouldn't really have an issue with that, but they, they don't even touch on that at all. It's like when you use Memoirs for a Geisha, which is a fully Japanese movie, completely dealing with Japanese culture, you put Zhang Ziyi, who is a Chinese actress in there as the main character, and then you put Michelle Yeoh and Gong Li in there as, again, like, just just not appreciating or not acknowledging the culture that they're taking it from and just putting whoever looks the part into it. And they don't even necessarily look the part. They just have the right skin tone. And I, I feel as though, like I, I said it before, 
they put the whitewashing issues on a silver platter for here because they they tried to defend themselves against it, but they really couldn't. They, they there's just too many issues here to. I mean, we could go on for this for a long, long time, but there's there's just a lot of stuff that I think that they made major mistakes on. No pun intended. No, no pun intended. <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, you know, this this kind of ties back to what we said about Iron Fist, but, you know, using the Asian culture as just a prop. I mean, I, I understand that this is supposed to be some futuristic Japanese city, but you're right, just having random Chinese words all over the place. I mean, it's, it's kind of the equivalent of white people getting uh, to Chinese words on them. And I mean, like, I don't fucking write, like, water in English on my fucking <laughs> bicep or whatever and expect it to be cool. It's, well, that, you, you that's just not the way it works, you know? <laughs> Yeah, we're going to take a short break, but for the second part, we're going to dive into the whole issue of casting Asians in Hollywood and uh, what our thoughts are on that. So stay tuned. 